Welcome to Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. We're here to discuss public policy issues in our home state of Colorado and beyond. Making Action Happen is presented by Action 22. Find out more about our organization at action22.org. Now, here is your host, Sarah Blackhurst. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of Action 22's Making Action Happen. I am joined with co-host Brian McCain again today, um, and we have a special guest. Nicholas DeSalvo is joining us, um, and we'll talk with him in just a few minutes. He is, uh, we understand him to be the youngest uh, candidate to run for office in Colorado this last year. He may have been the youngest in the country. We don't know for sure yet. We haven't checked that out, but um, we have him, and we're excited to visit with him a little bit. Before we get uh, too far into it, I Wanted to give a quick report to our members uh, a little bit about the Voices of Rural Colorado event that we had going on this morning. And yes, and tomorrow morning as well. This is the event that we do every year with the Sister Organizations Club 20 and Pro 15. We do it usually right after the session starts. Uh, we have a little bit of a break in the session this year, as you already know. Uh, but we're, we always talk about the issues that are most pressing for our communities in our rural Colorado. Um, we This morning we talked about paid family leave. We talked about the broadband fund that's uh, and everything that's going on with that. We're going to put some of these links on our website so you can understand a little bit better. There's a lot of money that's going into broadband right now. Um, and there's a lot of uh, interesting conversations around around that, especially because we've had to deal with that before. Uh, we're also going to be talking, or we also talked about Colorado's greenhouse reduction roadmap and everything that uh, everybody's trying to do to really um, kick that up. And I think they really want to do that, um, especially now. We also talked with a couple of different organizations, XL Energy and Black Hills, about the future of energy that future of energy in Colorado is going to be the forefront and a huge part of the discussions for the next year to five years. It wasn't really enough that we talked about it today. So we have promised to follow up a little bit later on a se- on the show, but also with some separate things so that we can continue that discussion on the future of energy in Colorado with all of the Action 22 energy partners. And we have quite a few of those. So we'll follow up with that. Tomorrow's actually going to be a really great, uh, really great session. We're going to be talking with Bill Weiser. Governor Polis is going to be with us for that Voices event, uh, Senator Michael Bennett and Senator John Hickenlooper. So that should be really, really great tomorrow. Um, if you have any questions or you'd like to be a part of that, just let me know. You know you can email me at sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Um, but also, as we are working on some of these things, we want you to be involved. We want our listeners, regardless of your Action 22 members or not, we want, we want to hear from you. Because as we move forward, we're going to need a lot of input on how to recover in this economy, how to do all of those things. So we're going to ask you to start to send your questions, comments, thoughts to show at action22.org. We, we're excited to hear from you. Um, and if you are not currently a member of Action 22, you need to join. It's time for you to get involved. It's very easy to do so. Brian is doing a lot on that. Brian is, gonna, is taking charge of that recruitment process right now and the invitations to join. Yes, um, actually going to start hitting it hard um, today and tomorrow. 
So um, look for an email. If you're not a member, I may email you and then I'll follow up again next week. And also I wanted to add that um, last week was our first video show as kind of the, the test run for this. So not only can you listen to it on the, the network, but you can go to YouTube and type in making action happen and find it and get a video, see our beautiful faces. Um, and, and uh, you know, we're asking if you enjoy what you hear and like what you see, just subscribe, um, subscribe to it. We need all the subscribers we can get. And um, that will be linked on our website as well, eventually, probably in the next few days. And we're just excited to kind of go into a new world of video and I guess yeah. streaming as the kids say these days. <laughs> but, we're so old. But, the, I think the thing that, that we really want to try to help and we're going to set, we want to set the example and do it ourselves, but we understand that in this new environment, we're going to have to connect with people very digitally and in a different way. And so developing that digital content, developing ways to communicate and go back and forth in this way is, is what we really want to try to promote. Uh, and here's the thing right now, you know, we've been thinking a lot about this and I think this is the year to just swing for the fences. Mm -hmm. I think if we, it's go big or go home time for everybody. So, all right, Brian, what's been on your mind this week? Well, um, we had the inauguration yesterday. Um, so I, I watched a little bit of it. Um, you know, it, it seemed to have gone off peaceful. There were yeah. a lot of troops in D.C., basically making sure everything was safe, um, which was impressive in its own. I think, you know, they moved, I want to say almost 30,000 troops to D.C. Wow. Um, you know, that's that's huge. That's like that takes a lot of logistics, a lot of planning. And these are National Guard troops from all over the country, from various states. I know, um, I believe Colorado sends them out. So it just goes to show that, you know, sometimes the National Guard gets a bad rap of kind of being the weekend warrior, but, you know, they really came together and they got out there and it went smooth and they're doing a good job. Um, so you know, watching that, um, I think that with the inauguration and the, the change of the administration, you know, you saw President Biden um, sign a bunch of ex executive orders, um, you know, rolling some things back to pre-Trump presidency. Um, I'm not going to be critical of it just yet. I think that when you have a new president come in, you know, you should always hope for the best. Yeah. You know, we're not, we're not looking for the president to fail. We're not going to be angry. Um, President Biden, whether you like him or not, he is the president of our country. And, and for our country's sake, I say, you know, we, we hope for success, wish him well and wish him good luck because right now with everything from COVID going on um, to, to everything in the world and in the country, you know, um, one thing, and I've said it before on the show, is that with the new administration, you have a new set of people that are taking a look at the problems we face. Now, now's the time where we hope they get it right and they make it better. And, you know, it's just a fresh new look at what we're going through. So with that, here's to President Biden. To President Biden, we're going to, yeah, give him the benefit of the doubt. And let's just see, um, let's just play a little bit of Yoda mm -hmm. um, and, and not be fearful. Um, that's not productive at all. And let's just see what's going to happen. Um, regardless, there is a ton of work that we're going to have to do. And the next little bit, both, and I think it's got to start at home. It's got to be a low, on the local level yeah. um, and to do that. And so uh, this morning in my opening remarks, I really encourage the, all of the attendees 
to just stop and for the next 90 days, quit saying what somebody else needs to do or what we need to do, but just take a, a question and listen approach. And that's what leadership is going to look like in the next little bit. Just ask the questions and then listen to answers. It's a whole different idea. Try to figure out what exactly needs to have, we need to have happen. So let's give us some thought. Yeah. Uh, one good piece of advice that I've heard before is uh, pretend that there is a documentary film crew following you around <laughs> and that you're trying to do something big. And so give it your all. Pretend that everybody's watching what you're doing and, you know, do what you can to better yourself. Uh, hold yourself accountable. Um, just work hard. And again, like we've said many times, we're all in this together. We're looking for solutions. This is a new world that we're living in right now. And we're going to find a way to make it work and try to help everybody out. And that's what we're going to do as Action 22 and as the organization. Uh, yeah. I'm, I appreciate that you're joining the team and doing this. This is having you on or having you on with Action 22. That was my huge swing for the fence <laughs> this year. So we're going to actually try to get a bunch of stuff done. All right. We have the very interesting guest today. This was a cool thing you brought you yeah, brought Nicholas yeah. to us. Yeah, so um, and in all fairness and full disclosure, um, Nicholas is my cousin through marriage. Um, I, I've known him and his brother, his parents for a while. Um, I'm married to Jillian, his cousin. So we, we've known each other. And when I worked for Congressman Tipton, um, when I met you, Nicholas, you were very interested in politics. And one thing that you never see from kids, um, you, know, you were what, 14? Yeah, I was, I was fairly young. Yeah, yeah 14. Um, and you had this interest in an understanding that's not usual for somebody your age at that point. And I, I remember, um, you know, I said, well, hey, uh, can we bring Congressman Tipton to the school to speak? And, you know, we brought him in, you introduced him. And I think he, came, he went out to Pueblo West at least the past few years, two or three times to speak to the government classes. And then when you brought him out, um, that the final time, you know, he, he did the full audience and spoke to everyone. And, um, it was great questions too. I, I was surprised and through doing this in various high schools, um, you're really kind of, you go into these situations and not just with Congressman Tipton, but I've spoke to schools about, you know, what do you do what, career day, stuff like that. And, um, you know, I'm expecting questions like, uh, you know, what's the white house? Like, have you been to the white house? Have you met the president? But, um, surprisingly, the the young people, the high schoolers that we've engaged with, that I've engaged with, they have some very, very pertinent questions. Um, some of even which I couldn't answer, and even Congressman Tipton is kind of like, well, I can't answer that. I need to, to do my <laughs> research on that first. But um, so from there, um, I'll let you talk about it more. But you uh, you actually decided to run for office here in, in Pueblo West. And when that came up, I remember there was, you know, a handful of candidates. Um, you performed well. Um, you were the youngest candidate, I know, in the state of Colorado um, and probably the country at that time. Um, I keep going back to the Parks and Rec where, you know, the, the guy <laughs> ran for mayor at 17 and, and was. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but anyway, um, welcome on the show and just tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, uh, first of all, thank you, Brian and Sarah, for having me. And thank you for that introduction, Brian. Uh, I, I'm just a really young person interested in politics. And the, the opportunity presented itself. 
to where I, I would be able to run. And so I, I took that opportunity and I ran with it. Uh, I, I've, I've been pretty active since. Um, and, and I think, I think it's just important for young people to, to be involved like that because, because from, from, from my perspective, a lot of, a lot of my peers don't take, take it, take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Uh, but, but we really have to realize the impact that it has on everyone, no matter, no matter what age you are. And so, so that's why I took the opportunity, the opportunity presented itself. And I, I just ran with it mm -hmm. and, uh, I, I'm, I'm pretty happy with the result, although I didn't win. Mm -hmm. I think people usually think, or like at that very young age, how did you know that you could run at 17? Well, it was pretty interesting the the way i found out that i could run is i had volunteered for for a metro information booth uh, at the high school and my uh, at the time my ap us government and politics teacher said that that pueblo s metro needed volunteers to you know man the booth and so i said yeah i'll, I'll give up a few hours of my time and it, she was there as well and we looked at the at the candidate application and she read it over and then she handed it to me and she told me to read through it. And on there, um, the, the only, you know, parameters you had to meet for, for running for that, for that office of, of district director, you had to be a registered voter. And in the state of Colorado, you can register to vote at 16. Oh. And you had to either live in Pueblo West or own property. And so I, I met those guidelines. I thought it over. I slept on it a little bit uh, because if, in fact, I did win, I would have to change plans for, for college. I would have to stay stay locally. And I, I thought it over and I, I decided, you know, if I can do this, I'll do it. And when you ran, how many candidates were there on the ballot? There were 12, 12. including myself. Yes. Um, so with a race like that, um, you know, fundraising plays a big part because that, that's not like a, a little office. I mean, that's, that is, that's a very professional, you know, well-respected office that you're in for. Um, so there's going to be money in it, right? Um, you're going to have to pay for ads, um, signs, whatever, you know, all the campaign fund stuff. So when you decided to run, did you know anything about fundraising and financing a campaign? I had, I really had no idea. Um, <laughs> but, but I, I learned a lot from it about how to register a candidate committee and, and, and things of that nature. I didn't, uh, I didn't take any donations. I was self-funded. Mm. And when it was all said and done, I, I only spent, I think around $300 and that was just on yard signs alone. Wow. Uh, but really? I learned how expensive yard signs are. <laughs> did, uh, yeah. Uh, did you have people wanting to fund you? I did. Yeah. Um, I went and delivered a yard sign to a person and uh, I pulled up to the house and it was a, it was a, it was a pretty big house in Pueblo West. It was mm -hmm. right by the reservoir. And they asked, do you have a website or, or a place to donate? And at the time I didn't. Mm -hmm. And um, it, it was coming up where, where it was pretty close to election day. So I, I didn't even, worry mm -hmm. worry about it but i know if i do go to run for something again i know who to ask yeah yeah that's true uh, um what what were people's reaction when you told them you were going to run um because again going back to the the political side of things you know it's always 
you go to your party meeting, the the GOP or the Dem meeting, and it's like, hi, I'm Brian McCain. I'm going to run for this office. I'm looking for your support. Um, well, actually, let me back up a bit. Was this um, was it an unaffiliated election? It, yeah, it was okay, a nonpartisan. So non, okay. Nonpartisan. I mean. um, so it was nonpartisan. So when you went in front of these groups to say that you're going to run, um, what was their reaction to see a, a kid up there in front of them? Well, th this wasn't the time of the coronavirus. Uh, it was around March, I believe. And so a as it was, a lot of people, you know, we didn't know a whole lot about it. So a lot of people were, were starting to get more cautious as, as it ramped up. So the Primarily, the outreach that I did was through social media mm -hmm. on the I Live in Pueblo West Facebook page. It has about 17,000 members. And of course, not all of them live in Pueblo West, but the vast majority mm -hmm. do. And I, I announced a few days after I turned my candidate form in that I planned on running. And, and I, in full disclosure, I said that I was 17 years old and mm -hmm. I was young. And immediately in the comment section, <laughs> it, you know, especially online, people feel emboldened to, to really say whatever they want. Right. And they were very, very critical of me. Um, really? Yeah. They, they said that this isn't student government, um, <laughs> things of that nature. This isn't prom committee. Um, but surprisingly, as I continued to do that outreach and campaign, uh, more than, than anyone else did um, out of those candidates, because I knew I had. The, the largest hurdle to surmount with my age. So why didn't you fundraise? Uh, I think a lot, of, a lot of it had to do with, I didn't really know how to. Um, so, so, you know, looking, looking back on it, I wish I would have, uh, because there were some, some pretty prominent business owners uh, with, with deeper pockets than, than a 17 year old who, were able to buy banners and more yard signs. So, so looking back, I wish I would have done that. Yeah. I, I think that's um, every candidate that decides to run, they always start off um, and, and they don't realize fundraising is kind of a big part of it because right. everything costs money. Um, so it's, it's funny to watch, especially um, friends, colleagues, whatever, when they decide to run them. First question I ask is like, well, who's going to be your fundraiser? Who's handling your money? And they're like, well, I don't need that. You know, that's kind of their <laughs> attitude going into it. Then afterwards, they're like, man, I really should have done that and paid attention. Uh, and, you know, to be fair, I did go through like an extensive candidate school like yeah. 10 years ago. And that was like 90% of it was fundraising and how to do that. But um, so, so I, I know that um, the more you spoke and engaged and put your message out there, that's when people started taking you more serious, that you weren't just some, you know, it wasn't a joke, basically. Exactly. Like you actually did care and you did have some good ideas. Um, what were some of the positions you had? Like, what would you have done different? Or if you were to be elected, you know, what would have been your first thing to do when you're in office? Well, uh, Pueblo West is pretty interesting. It's a metropolitan district, meaning that we are incorporated and we don't have a sales tax. And, and going into it, I, I was very aware that, that the people of the West, that that's the large reason they, they were out there is because the, the tax rates were, were so low. Uh, and so I knew that, that if, I, if I had plans to, to do a road tax or, or um, you know, put stuff like that on a ballot, that people 
might not be receptive to the rest of my message because that would be a big turnoff for them. But the reality of it is that the, the roads in Pueblo West aren't, aren't very well maintained. And that, and that has a lot to do with just the road crew and how tight the budget is. Mm-hmm. And so the, the priority was uh, fixing the roads, whether it's by bringing in new businesses to get the, the, the property tax from, from that, you know, something, because every election, the issue of roads comes up, but it never seems like anything is done about mm-hmm. it. Um, so it, it, it goes back to the idea of all talk, no action. Uh, and and that's what I didn't want to be. Didn't want to be someone like that. And, um, you know, when we'll go to a break here in a little bit, but when we get back, we'll dive more into your, some of your political positions on it. But um, when when you did talk to um, um, people, and again, it was COVID, so you couldn't go door to door, couldn't canvas, anything like that. Um, when you engaged, especially some of the, the older people like my age or even older, um, and you started to talk about this, um, what, how did they turn around? Like, how did that turn them around to going back to like taking you more serious that it wasn't a joke? Were they, were they excited to see a young person running or did they still say like, you know, oh, he's a good kid and he's, you know, he's probably not going to win, but he has a bright future ahead of him. Or was it like, man, this kid really can get something done. He understands the position. Well, it was a mixture of both. And, uh, and like I said, the more I engaged, the more, uh, the more people, you know, changed their thinking about me. And, and really the, the turning point was when I got an endorsement from a former district director. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- that was pretty important to me. And a, a lot of people said, you know, he might be young, but he's interacted with the voters more than, than any other candidate has. And I think that juxtaposition between me and, and my engagement with the voters versus the rest of the candidates, I think made a big difference in, in people's minds. Of course, there were, there were people who said, uh, you know, he's, he's a, he seems smart, he has a bright future, but I, I just can't see myself yeah. voting for someone with such limited life experience. But there were others who, who really liked my message. When you talked with, um, when you talked with voters and you talked with citizens, what was it that really struck you as far as the things that they would say to you? Did they, did you feel like they were opening up and telling you what they thought? And, and was there anything that surprised you on that? Yeah. Uh, the, the same people that were very, very critical of me when I first announced in that Facebook post, uh, were some of the same people later on who were, the most adamant supporters of me. Really? Yeah. So, so that was, I think, the best part, and it, it, it taught me a lot of of what politics really should be, voter engagement, and I think I think if more people did that, um, we would be we would be less divided as as a people in general. Do you think that that them changing their mind because that is a huge thing changing somebody's point of view, winning them over to your way of thinking that that is, if you can do that, you can rule the world. What was it that you think most, was it your engagement? What, what changed their minds about you? I think it had to be the engagement. And, and as I got further along in the campaign, I had more, uh, more positions on things. And, and I, so I think that had a lot to do with it. They, they saw my preparedness and how I had done my homework on the issues. Right. And that was important to them as well. Um, how did, uh, how did your school take it? Because <laughs> I, I think it, it's interesting what you have, um, say, say you would have won 
and then you're kind of setting some of the funding issues or anything that deals with your high school directly that you're in. Like, what was the attitude of the teachers and, you know, even your classmates? Like, what did they think about it? They loved it. Nice. <laughs> yeah, they, they absolutely loved it. Um, the principal, assistant principals, they were they were 100% on board with it. And um, uh, the, my AP government politics teacher who encouraged me to run, she's very supportive uh, along the way. And it, 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 you know, encouraged me to go further. If, if she believes I could do it, then that I should believe that I could do it. And on top of that, the students just thought it was insane that, <laughs> that someone they know uh, not only made history, but um, they were they were pretty active in the community. Nice. And um, I'm, I've met your AP government teacher before, but I can't remember her name. If you want to give her a shout out on this. Mrs. Erickson? Yes, yeah. Mrs. Erickson. I, I emailed her back and forth many times. <laughs> nice job. Oh, that, that's awesome. Um, and then before we go to the break, um, if, again, going back to the, the big if, um, you know, looking back at this, do you think you'll run again? Do you think that it's in your future, near future, late future? What do you think? You know, I hope so. And b before I even even ran for that office, I knew that, that someday I, I wanted it to be in, in the cards for me, but I would have never expected I would do it at such a young age. But I think there's a there's a big possibility that, that I either run for that position again or, or county commissioner or maybe even the state legislature. And um, you are involved in student government. And what's your position in student government right now? I'm the student body president. Student body president. High school. Yes. Wow. Did you run for that before or after you ran for Metro District? They were at the same time. So, <laughs> so you're running two campaigns. So, so you right. could be like the, the only politician running two campaigns probably. Simultaneously ever. at 17 years old. <laughs> running two campaigns. And did it without fundraising on With a no $300 fundraising. budget. That's insane. And, and you came in, um, you did a good job, right? You came in in the top. It, yeah, I out of the 12 candidates running, I came in sixth place. I got 987 votes in total. How much did the winner get? Uh, well, there were two positions open. Okay. So, so the, the, the number one spot got, I think, 1,600 votes, and the number two spot got uh, just shy of 14. So you were not that yeah, far behind. Yeah, you were not behind at all. That's, um, that's a win. That's a big win. Um, so we're going to take a little break when we come back. I'm very interested in your perspectives on politics and also being a student and, and a, a candidate running for office in the time of COVID and, and all those things. So we'll be back in just a minute um, and we'll talk with uh, Nicholas DeSalvo a little bit more on what has been a really interesting conversation <laughs> so far. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. 
Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. This is Making Action Happen with Sarah Blackhurst. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5788. Again, that's 1-866-472-5788. You may also reach out via email to sarah.blackhurst at action22.org. Now, back to Making Action Happen. Hi, thanks, and welcome back to Making Action Happen with our good friend, Brian McCain, my co-host. And today we have the most interesting uh, guest, uh, Nicholas DeSalvo, is the youngest candidate to run for office in Colorado, as far as we know, and maybe the country. And we just discovered that he was actually running two campaigns simultaneously, and he didn't do any fundraising. I think, to me, that's shocking. So, Nicholas, let's talk a little bit about some of your perspectives from where you're sitting and being student body president. I'm sure you've had these conversations quite a bit. Um, Give us some of your perspectives on the current political climate. Well, I would say it's the most divided I've ever seen, but I haven't really (laughs) seen. You're 17. Right. Right. Um, But regardless, it is it is pretty divided. And, and I think that division is reflected uh, in, in the new Congress. And so I, I think it's unfortunate. And I think it's, I think it's a symptom of, of bigger problems that, that we've been facing for a long time. And, uh, you know, I, I'm hopeful for the future. I'm pretty optimistic about it. And, you know, I hope it, I hope it gets better. The, the, the divide is, um, it's it's pretty bad as as of right now, and I think we've seen that in the most recent events. Go ahead. Well, um, about that. So going back to you know, sometimes kids aren't engaged, and specifically high schoolers. Um, of course, middle school and grade schoolers aren't going to know or care, but high school is when you start to care, and you you do see that with some kids, not all, but but you do, and. Um, 
you know, with everything the way it is right now and you see the division and, it, you know, just the kind of the hatred on both sides from the, the far ends. And again, it, it's not the middle, you know, it's not the middle 80%. It's the loud 10% on each side. And, you know, through social media and the internet and also everybody sitting in front of their computers for the past year, that just kind of grows and grows. It's like, I think I said it before, it's like road rage, you know, you'll yell and cuss somebody out in your car, they cut you off. But if they did it in the grocery line, you're not going to do that. But with, with kids your age, high schoolers, um, do you see that division among them? I mean, do you have, do you have students at your school that are kind of like, you know, mirroring what we're seeing on the news like oh you know i'm pro this you're i'm anti you i'm pro this i'm anti you do you see that divide amongst the kids that there are some um and and i think it's because a lot of the time we we as young people get our political views from our parents if if our parents are pretty politically active for me that wasn't the case because mm-hmm my parents had never voted before, <laughs> but yeah. So, so I don't know how. Um, is this your little rebellion? How is that? Your parents have never voted and you decide to run for office. But did they vote for you? They did. They yeah. Did vote that, okay, uh, for the first time, uh, my dad's 60, 61. He registered to vote for the first time what? just to vote for me. But uh, going back to Tina, the, the makeup of, of the student body, you know, you do see that. But for the most part, we, we have common goals. Uh, we want to see ourselves succeed and we want to see our country succeed. And, and a lot of the time, uh, students don't, don't know a whole lot about, uh, about policy or, or politics. But, but overall, we, I think we're generally able to understand that, um, that, that we should move in a direction that is better for the country. And I, I know we saw it when we visited you, um, even just the understanding, and I know the teachers are doing their best to, to educate the students, but it, it's a lot. You know, there's so many working pieces when it comes to government, you know, from the federal to the local level. Um, do you feel that through your education and, and what you're learning, um, are you learning how it actually works? Uh, you know, is, do you watch the cartoon? Like, this is a bill, this is how it's made type thing. Like we did when we're in school, like, are you learning how the government actually works? Absolutely. And, and I would say in the, in the AP Gov class I took, we focused a lot more on, on the system of government rather than the current affairs of government. And I think that was important. We learned a lot about federalism. We studied the constitution. We studied the federalist papers. And so with, with that information, I think we could, we could use that to build on, you know, forming our opinions about different types of policy. I think we need another shout out for your civics teacher. Yeah, <laughs> Mrs. Erickson. <laughs> Mrs. Erickson. Yeah, she's been doing it for, for, for decades. Yeah. So, uh, you, and, she's, and she's good at her job. She's very, uh, very independent in, in how she portrays the knowledge. So that's the most important thing. Yes, it is. Um, and that's one complaint that, you know, you'll hear a lot of people make. They, they say that, you know, the education system leans this way or leans that way. And, I, and I'm, it does in some instances. And there are, you do have some teachers that may lean one way or the other. But from what I've seen, you know, even through my kids, it's, it is fair. It, it is a kind of a balanced approach. And, and you're seeing that it's, they're teaching them the system. 
versus like the current political affairs. And I think that's very important for kids to understand and all people to understand is how how the system works, how a law is made, how a bill is passed, you know, what are the powers of the government? What's the separation of government? Um, again, going back to things people have said, you know, it's like, well, Congress needs to get off their butt and do this. And it's like, well, they, they did do that, but the Senate didn't do it. You know, they did pass this on one side, the Senate did it. Or, you know, what's a veto? Like most people don't understand what a veto is. Like what is an actual veto? It's, um, and, and that's important. Um, then looking back again through your, your campaign, um, I'm going to go back to this because it's fascinating, but uh, what's one thing you would do different besides fundraising? Like looking back, what's one thing that you would change when you ran? Well, um, I would say that, that I would, I would try to do more uh, voter interaction. Of, of course, I, I primarily did it through social media, but uh, if, if I could have done door knocking, uh, if I could have done a town hall, maybe, uh, I think that would have, would have benefited me because they would have been able to, to see me and hear my message at the same time. Um, so, so that's, that's probably the main thing and, and having more of a platform established before I announced that's the other major thing. What do you think, um, in the current political climate locally and, um, on the federal level, do you see anything that would make a difference to sort of bridge that divide? Well, I, I think it just goes back to getting more, more people involved. Uh, of course, when you have local officials, uh, and, and Brian, you mentioned this uh, a few episodes ago uh, with the example of Danae Esgar, if you don't like what she's done at the state level, you see her in a King Supers or, mm -hmm. or something of that nature. And so uh, I think a lot of it has to do with with making your voice heard, and on top of uh, on top of that, just just staying up up to date with with everything that's going on and being informed about it. <clears throat> Sorry, um, we have somebody painting in the other room, and it's it's getting to us a little bit. <laughs> so so going back to the campaign itself. Um, what do you think you learned? What was the biggest thing you think you learned? Well, not only did I learn the process, but I learned how, how, in, how important it is as a candidate to, to engage. And I think that's the biggest thing I did. But not only did I learn a lot, I think the, the community of the West learned a lot. And those who were even paying attention to my election learned a lot. Because we, we talk a lot about, you know, how do we get young people involved? And it's not to play identity politics or anything, but it's very difficult for a young person to be excited about a candidate in their 60s or their 70s, especially in a local election. And so just just seeing them be represented uh, through me as a candidate, I think that was important. And I, I think it showed the community um, that there that there are students out there that, that are interested in, in things other than uh, social media or video games. <laughs> That's fair. So talk a little bit about um, logistically how you, how you did your campaign in a, in a time of COVID and then what that's looking for, like for you right now. Well, the, one of the first things I tried to do is establish a separate Facebook page for my campaign alone, because uh, 
being engaged in politics, that, that means I'm opinionated. And so I didn't want people to be, to, to look at, at my personal political opinions on a national scale and try to relate that to a local level for an election that should have been nonpartisan. Smart. And so that, that's one of the first things I did. And, it, and on top of that, just utilizing social media pages, uh, making sure that, that my responses were consistent with what I had, you know, been, been saying previously. So people couldn't try to screenshot and use it against me that I was flip-flopping <laughs> on, on any issues. Which they will do right. with everything. Yeah, <laughs> so. that never happens. Yeah. yeah. Um, so COVID, I'm going to switch gears here. Um, COVID has impacted small business, which, you know, that, that's not your world right now. Your world is school. COVID has impacted school. Um, you just, you mentioned before we got on that you're in the hybrid system now, so you're doing two days a week and then remote two days, but you've been remote for a while. Um, a lot of the frustration from parents, especially is they, you know, you have to be at home. You can't just set your kid in front of a computer and have them learn the younger ones. High schoolers are a bit different. You just got to kick them out of bed to make sure they're up in time or they don't fall asleep in their class like somebody did. Um, <laughs> but Looking the past year, going through this, do you think that it has caused harm to the learning process? Do you feel it stayed the same or do you think it's better? It has absolutely caused harm. Um, and and I don't think we, we will really see the effects of that through standardized testing because a lot of that standardized testing has been taken away because of COVID. Mm -hmm. uh, but you you see that, that students' grades are dropping. Uh, they are are apt to procrastinate more uh, without personal instruction. And I think it's exposed, uh, it's exposed some things being that, that um, students should have access to Wi-Fi and a lot of students don't have access to Wi-Fi to do their work. So, so they can't do their work, let alone, you know, learn anything. It's, it's difficult to, of course, stay focused and retain any knowledge. And I think on a large scale, it's shown us the importance of in-person learning, mm -hmm. uh, being in an environment that facilitates, uh, you know, being able to retain knowledge. And I think that's the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. uh, on, on one hand, I understand why we're doing all of it. I, I mean, I get it. But on the other hand, we have to really, really see the, the detrimental effects of it on not only education, but, but mental health and things of that nature. And when you went back to school Monday, right? Um, did the students look like zombies walking down the hall? Yeah. <laughs> uh, to put, I can't put it any other way, right. but was it wasn't like an episode of The Walking Dead when you went back to school. And, and I will admit um, that I'm guilty of this as well. <laughs> we, we start school at, 7:25, and I would wake up at about seven o'clock. Uh, mm -hmm. Roll out of bed, um, open up my computer, and and enter a Zoom meeting. And so, you know, again, it it shows how much structure that school mm -hmm. does provide, and in-person learning does provide. And so, when you're forced to wake up earlier, mm -hmm. uh, you know, you're you're not really having it. But but luckily, 
uh, I think it, it, it was Monday. We did have a two hour delay. <laughs> so oh, that's right. <laughs> instead of five hours of sleep, we got seven. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so let me ask you, I think there's been a lot of discussion uh, prior to this uh, that maybe the structure and the way we did education was antiquated and it wasn't effective and it wasn't all of these things. And so suddenly we're thrown into the exact opposite scenario where it's a whole different thing. What, what did we learn and do we make it better or was it the right structure to begin with? And this was just sort of a, a huge hiccup. Well, you know, don't get me wrong. Online learning does work for some people, but for the vast majority of us, it doesn't. And so, you know, you could, you could, analyze the minute details of, of the current school system and, and be hypercritical of, of how things are done. But I think that that comparison going from, from you know, one normal example of, of instruction that's been done for, for decades mm-hmm. compared to, you know, this wild in front of a computer learning universally for everyone, uh, it, for me personally, it's made me appreciate school even more. And, you know, I'm, I'm a person that likes school in general. Do you, do you miss the social interaction not being there? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that's, that's the biggest thing that, that we've been missing out on since, since the start of this, we've, we've been told to socially distance, but, you know, I don't really like that term. I like to use the term physical distancing mm-hmm. because socially we're more connected now than we've ever been in human history. True. And so, uh, you know, looking back on on past pandemics, uh, you know, 100 years ago, uh, I can't even imagine how difficult that was because they they weren't nearly as as connected as we are now. But still, that doesn't mean there aren't problems. You know, mm-hmm. we, we like human interaction just mm-hmm. as 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 human. Yeah, it's it's actually fortunate that it happened now versus say 10 years ago because this would not have worked 10 years ago. Um, I mean, I guess you could do conference call learning, you know, put on oh the gosh. speakerphone and try it. But um, it's, again, it's fortunate the time frame that it did happen now where we do have the ability and not everybody does. Like you said, there is a lack of broadband, which is an important issue to Action 22 that uh, we're trying to address and help out with. But it, it also showed the necessity, going back to that, um, of broadband, of internet. You know, up until now, internet has always been more of a privilege. Like it was the speedy internet is a privilege. It's like, oh, I'm gonna pay this much more money. You know, I, I can afford this, or I live in an area that gets it. But now it's a necessity. Yeah. It's absolutely a necessity. And that's why this conversation and we've been having it for years over broadband and broad, rural broadband, broadband access. But now it's like this put it right on the fire. Like this yeah. has to be solved ASAP. And I think that there's a lot of people working on it and hopefully we'll see that soon. Um, but again, that part of high school and, and part of, you know, even college is it's the social aspect because we are social animals and we live in a social world and this teaches us how to behave. If you've only been in online school through age 24, and then all of a sudden you have to go work in a business with people, you don't have the tools to interact in an office with multiple people and, and understand how that works. And, and that's where I, I keep going back that with the education being online, and again, it has to be, it's not, you know, it's not intentional that they're doing it this way. Um, well, it is intentional, but it's not like nefarious. 
but that's what we're going to see hit the students the most, especially with that mental health and just social ability. This is like a, a year gap in development when it comes to social. Um, yeah. So I have a question for you. The, the election you did win was for student council president. Right. With all the things that are facing right now, do you have a plan? Or are you are you taking some action on trying to address some of the issues that you've already talked about? Right. Well, uh, and and also going back to the to the issue of social interaction, you know, a, a lot of the things, especially for high school seniors, a lot of the normal activities have been taken away from us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you know, dances, assemblies. Uh, you know, extracurriculars and, and sporting events and things of that nature. So as a council, we we are taking measures to at least plan, uh, plan for some of these things. And and the plan, of course, it's still modified because we know that, that within two or three months, this thing isn't going to magically go away by any means. Um, but, but I think we're in a position uh, to where you know, we've, we've lost so much over the course of a year, we should at least be able to, you know, offer up something, whatever that might be, if it's a virtual dance or, you know, what, <laughs> what have you. Uh, so, so I'm focusing on issues, uh, on issues like that as of now. Are you able to be involved in some of the mental health support that is clearly needed um, for all of all of our young people, but um, are you able to be involved in that? Are you able? Are they asking for your input on it, or are you able to drive any programs or anything like that? Well, I think that's the tough thing too, um, because w- when you're faced with situations like that, one of the best things you could do is just talk to people. And you know, counselors are no longer uh, available. You you know, you can't go into the counselor's office and and talk through things, uh, you know, what, whatever is on your mind. So we do have a virtual calming room set up. Um, and talk about that. What is a virtual calming room? Uh, well, in, in essence, uh, basically it's, I think it's like as a zoom and, and you go into it and, uh, there's a picture of a mountain or something with <laughs> with serene music in the background. I appreciate the I appreciate the effort, but is that effective at all? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> not, not not by any means. So, from where you're sitting, what would be effective? No, that's a difficult question. I think I think the most effective thing would be a student led, uh, you know, and and organized just group where maybe once once a week you could get together and just and just talk through what's going on in your mind because because we're going through the same problems a lot of us are uh, because this is difficult uh, but we also have to you know remember that there are students in general who go through a lot of problems whether it's the, the at home life and being at home forced to to be at home is just exacerbating that and so if we could Maybe set something up where where we get together as, as students and just talk about things. Almost like a peer mentoring program or something like right, that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So what do you need as student body president to get that in place? Um the time, probably. Uh I, I think that's I think that's the biggest hurdle. But we've we've taken measures to adjust our schedule 
um, you know, during hybrid to where we have a longer homeroom period. It's basically a study hall. Mm-hmm. So if we wanted to do something like we that, could that, we could, we could, it's possible. So I think there's two things as, as we wrap up. One is, and, and I'm just going to speak for Brian, but I think um, anybody who listens today, any of the Action 22 network would be happy to help you with anything on that. I just know our folks and they're going to be super excited to hear your story. Um, so come back with the, come back to us with the, this is what I want to do. Who do I talk to? We'll help you figure that out. And then the last thing, um, what's next for you? Well, I think what's next is, is taking a short break from the, from the <laughs> candidate life until I, uh, I gather myself. I, um, you know, I do go to college, uh, of course, studying political science. <laughs> but, uh, you know, from there, just, just see where it takes me. Of course, if the opportunity presents itself again, uh, where I could be in a position to, to run for an office where I think I can make a real difference. I'm going to go for it head on. We love it. We yep. love it. And it's important to mention too, that you've, you've worked through all this too. You also, you have a job. So on top of all of this, you're working as well. So earlier today, I just told Brian, I just want to be inspired. Can I just be inspired? Is that too much to ask? So you fulfilled that for today. So Nicholas, we appreciate you being with us so much today. Um, next week, we're, we are trying to work out some time with uh, Senator Bennett um, to be on the show. Um, if you have any questions, let us know at show at action22.org. Or if there's anything that you're working on that you want our help with, let us know. Thanks for joining us. We will see you next week. Thank you for tuning in to Making Action Happen. Be sure to join your host, Sarah Blackhurst, for another edition of the show next Thursday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week. Thanks again.